Welcome to Navigating Change, the podcast from Tybal Education. I'm Pete Wright, and uh, right next to me, right there, virtually. Now you can really say right there. Right there is Howard Tybal. Hi, hey, Howard. Pete. We're trying something new uh, here, but I'm excited because I think we can uh, communicate some ideas even more effectively by having people look at us and I can show some things. So what are we doing today, Pete? Well, it's very exciting. I, you know, you have this concept uh, that, that you've been talking about in your presentations. We've been talking about this idea of, of how change is happening and how we adapt ourselves to change. And uh, you, you've built this model that I think ha people have been responding quite positively to that we thought would be a great opportunity for you to demonstrate that uh, on the show today. And so here we are uh, on, on video uh, for those who are, are just listening to this, you can go over to the website at tidalink.com and uh, visit the podcast section. You can see this, this episode and actually watch it and see us doing our thing and watch this presentation as Howard uh, sort of delivers parts of it. How, how do you feel about doing it? Are you ready? Are you technically ready to do this? We'll see. <laughs> All right. I feel like you're in good shape. We're in great shape. Tell us, introduce the world's opening. The stage is that one of the things that we're discovering, and as I'm working with folks, is that one of the areas that we are focused on, probably 99% of the time, is solving problems. And solving problems are the day-to-day -day, uh, task lists, the crises that come up. But I think that fundamentally our orientation is to problem solving and it's a habit we've developed and, we, and, and we're good at this. We're, that, that's why we get into the roles that we have is because we're good problem solvers. I don't care if you're the finance head, if you run facilities, HR, you're on the academic side, we're problem solvers. And I think this is something that we cultivate from a very young age to adulthood, right? That is a way of being in the world that is important yet insufficient. And what makes it insufficient is that some of these questions we can't solve, but we have to figure out how to navigate differently. So an example would be in education, there was a recent article in the Wall Street Journal about what's going to happen to the humanities. Right. There's a, lot of, there's a lot of concern about the humanities right now. And a story about that the humanities are not disappearing in our culture, but in higher ed, they're under attack. And as you look at that as an academic leader, as an administrative leader, you look at that and say, all right, how do I engage in that? And I would suggest the way to engage in that is not thinking of, of it as a problem to solve, but as something to navigate. And in education, we can think about the nature of the changes we're going through in the context of thinking forward over the course, let's say over the next 10 years. And one important area that we work on in education is budgeting. And we have planning uh, meetings, we have planning and tools, we have processes. We're trying to have the budget process really reflect how we want to be in the future. But I would suggest to you, unless something fundamentally shifts in education, where we don't have the focus the way we do around enrollment on a year-to-date year basis, the nature of how we're structured, that 10 years from now, we're going to look back and our budget process will be incrementally better. 
it might actually be something that some people call transformed. But I'm not calling transformation this. this. I'm calling transformation things that show up in our world that the world opens up something that we never saw before. And these are three examples of what has been opened up in the world. You know, in this case, if we just even take Uber, Uber is 10 years old, right? Amazon is 20 years old. But when these worlds opened up, over time, what begins to happen is other worlds begin to close down or they're gone. Now, what's interesting about Barnes & Noble and the taxi industry is they're not gone. Matter of fact, they're trying to figure out how to stay relevant. For the taxi industry, I think they're holding on with their fingernails and doing everything that they can to make sure that that they remain a viable alternative. But what's important for us in education is to think about, well, if this happens in these other areas, Amazon, Netflix, Uber, and other worlds closed, like Blockbuster. We could take digital photography and Kodak uh, as a world that's closed and, and another whole world that's opened up uh, in the, and the, how the iPhone has contributed to that. Uh, the education of the future is going to be some story that we're inventing today. And as a result, other areas will close down. And what's fascinating about this conversation if you have this with people, is you can replace the word, Pete, you can replace education with student affairs of the future and student affairs of the past, facilities of the future, facilities of the past, the academic programming of the future, academic programming of the past. And the thing that I'm looking to have more people recognize is that these are two different kinds of conversations. One conversation is not a problem to be solved, but something to explore and navigate. And the other conversation is something that we have to solve. It's short term. Uh, and that's the middle one. And the muscle we've developed, which is really strong, is the one that is around incremental improvement. And the muscle that most of us have that's weak is learning how to be in conversation around something that is emerging but we need to learn how to engage others in the conversation. So this is the basic principle that I'm finding that people are recognizing where they're strong and where they're weak. When I look at that middle arrow, yeah, that, that represents, and we're talking about incremental improvement, it represents the thing with which we are, to use some language that you're, you're, we, you truck around here all the time, that you're in a, a mood to adapt to, right? That we're, we have this orientation that I can touch things in, in my job and I can make these processes better. Incrementally, yes. maybe. In some cases, it's so much better that it feels like a world's opening kind of conversation because yeah. my life is better as a result of what I can do. But that's honestly not the first thought that that occurred to me. When you brought up humanities and and there is this and and the systems in higher education that are uh I'll say at risk but that may be disingenuous terminology uh, that are at risk. What occurs to me is that we come at these from a mood of protection. Mm. Right? That there is an instinct to protect that which we don't want to go away. Yeah. And I wonder if you could reflect a little bit on how that mood impacts our ability to be witness to something new emerging that we couldn't see coming in the first place. Yeah, I love that, Pete, because what you're pointing to is uh, uh, this mood of 
protection that's in the background. And when you call it out, when you acknowledge to people, so what does it mean to think about change as a sign of progress versus an attack on tradition? That gets people to recognize if they are in this protection, territorial way of being, but also looking at it from the perspective of history, right? I I know what the budget process can be and how it can be improved because it's so much of it lives in the breakdown of what we weren't able to do. So if I can fix those things, I can have a more satisfied customer, more satisfied uh, academic leaders, or giving them better financial reporting. All of this is very important. But we could, we could take the budget process and say, and elevate it to an emerging or a conversation that is a bigger conversation, which is, what are we really trying to accomplish here? And budgeting is a tool toward that end. But in the normal course of where people are working in this middle layer, is they're, they're trying to figure out how to deal with unsatisfied customers or provide something that they don't have right now. So, so the mood thing you've just called out is something to recognize. And what I'm discovering, pe- people are realizing that we can't solve certain things. Inclusion is a big conversation on college campuses today. Inclusion is something to learn how to engage others in. There isn't a checklist that if we do these things, all of a sudden we're going to have a certain kind of inclusive campus. But this is where we go in the absence of having uh, an idea of what we want to accomplish. We go automatically to, all right, I understand the problem. This is how you solve it. The style of a problem solver is fundamentally, we know what the problem is. It's, in a sense, the problem is almost prescribed. And if we can identify these clear set of outcomes, the clear set of tasks, we can be successful. Navigating what's happening to the humanities, how do we deal with inclusivity? Uh, what do we do about uh, first-generation students? That could be both a problem-solving as well as a bigger conversation about are our institutions prepared to deal with first-generation students in the the wave that's continuing to come. To explore something as a navigator, it's a different kind of conversation. It's not prescribed. The value that you get from it emerges from the engagement as opposed to we know what the outcome is and all we have to do is work our way through it. If we talk about mood, when I think about solving a problem, which I'm doing every day and so is everybody else listening to this, I'm resolute when I'm effective, right? It's it's helpful for me to be resolute. It's helpful for me to be focused. And there's a strong action oriented, often coordinating actions with others, right? Whether it's making requests, whether it's making promises, whatever the ways I coordinate, it's very in the moment, real, uh, this is what we want to get done. Let's compare that to what it is to be a navigator and the mood associated with being a navigator. Being relaxed, being curious, and having patience. The three things that we are not yeah. in the majority of time on a daily basis in our work. And in that mood, possibilities can show up. 
because we're open to them. We're not comparing everything against the problem going, wait a second, that's not going to work because we already know what we want to end up. On the right-hand side here, we don't know where we want to end up, but we know that there's a conversation here to have around pick the topic, uh, the, the death of the humanities, or what does inclusivity look like? What's interesting, Pete, the more I, I convey this with people, I realize that where we attempt to get to the right, and we don't even do a good job there, is when we attempt to brainstorm, right? When you actually say, let's brainstorm in a group, you're actually inviting people to slow down, relax, be inclusive of others, and not get to what's the answer. But we often do brainstorming in service and only in service of some action we want to take. What I'm saying here is we're not trying to solve the problem. We're trying to really engage in it and, 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 and the key questions we should be thinking about. It, it's uh, it's fantastic, and it's uh, just to, uh, on these two points. What you have just described under the navigation uh, uh, column here is you, you know exploratory and relaxed and curious and patient and open to possibilities. All you've just defined, you know, the muscle that it takes to engage creativity. Right? We are creative when when we are in this space. Uh, we are not creative when we are in problem solving mode. When you're problem solving, you're getting clarity in how we want to do something, mm-hmm. right? Now we know how we're going to do it, and now we can execute. On the right-hand side, when we approach it this way, we build trust. Mm-hmm. And, 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 and the trust example for me uh, emerged when I was with a group of administrators, and we were discussing engaging the deans in a conversation around their economic programming. Not like, here's your financial challenges you have because people aren't taking these programs, but to say, listen, we want to be your partners in a conversation. We're going to convene you as a group and we want to learn as a group, what does it mean to evolve our academic programming? Whether it's more online, whether it's doing uh, a different different kind of delivery system, whether it's certain programs we should be doing more or less of. And when we go into a conversation not trying to solve it, we're able to actually have others approach it with us from a place of trust. And as you just said, this is the source of creativity and invention. And we are losing the battle in living on the right-hand side. And just yesterday, I was with a group of leaders And I can tell you that I can hear it from them without them even speaking it. We don't have the time to be on the right-hand side. And there's a presumption that your senior leaders are effectively navigating. In many cases, they're not. In many cases, your, your senior leaders are also stuck in crisis management. Now, if you're listening to this, you're going, all right, so what's the answer? Yeah, I mean, I, that, that is the first thing I wanted to say is like you. No, but I'm, but, but let me say that's, that actually is part of the addiction. There isn't an answer. But, but that's not the question, right? The question that I had was, how do you engage someone who believes so deeply that they don't have time to do this when we know as in, both empirical truth that in, in fact, it's possible they may not have time not to do this? Here's what I say, and they get this completely. And I, and I, we make time for things that are important to us. It's that simple. Yeah, yeah. I don't have time to be in a professional development program and be studying, but it's important to me. Yeah. And guess what? 
When I made the declaration that it was important to me, I made the time. We make time for things that are of priority to us. And for the most part, not having time is an excuse. And we should really be candid when we say we don't, we're not being effective navigators. What we're fundamentally saying is it's more important for us to have all of our energy on problem solving than our energy on navigation. But I, but, but I can tell you, Pete, though, people deeply want to be spending more time on the, on the other side. They want to be on the right side. And I, and I think that what we have to do more of is give people a sense of what that looks like and what kind of benefit you can get from that. I, I think that's a, that's a really great question. It's exactly what I'm thinking right now is, uh, in your experience, working with teams who have made that move to the right side, there are, there are sort of two uh, levels of impact. One is, is there a verifiable impact in how they approach the intransigent problems that face them right now, right here in front of their face? And two, is there an impact in how they approach the non-intransigent, just sort of day-to-day work? Does it change their overall behavior in, in uh, uh, you know, what I'm going, the leading question is, in any sort of positive way? Well, what do you think? Well, I think it does. And I, I, I can only speak from from my experience that, you know, when I have stopped to, to slow down and sort of established my own slow work personality, I am uh, I'm better at it. I make fewer mistakes when I allow others stress to become my stress. I make yeah. their mistakes. Right. I, yeah. And I don't engage all of my brain to solve a problem. I only engage the, you know, solving the one problem that is presented. And I, I don't, yes. I don't evaluate a whole environment. What I've seen when people recognize the difference between a problem solving, short term fixing things from an emerging opportunity that we need to learn how to explore together, what they begin to recognize is, all right, I have to make the choice to, for this particular conversation to put myself in a different kind of mood. And it is a choice. Mm-hmm. It's a choice to say, I'm going to show up differently. I'm going to make, t-, you know, I, and the anecdote that I've given people is I am more frequently when I'm, when I'm engaging with a new group, I will go in and I will say to them, we're not going to solve anything today in this two hour conversation. And sometimes people are like, what do you mean we're not going to solve anything? Isn't that why you're here? You're here to help solve problems. Maybe. But first, we're going to learn how to be in conversation. What actually is going on here? And I can tell you when people recognize that they don't have to focus on the problem, the conversation very quickly becomes rich and focused on what they care about. So so it's really about learning to exercise a muscle that we have not been practicing and teaching people, and this is part of the work that we're doing more of, how to be in a different kind of conversation. Let's assume, and I think this is a, a reasonable potential outcome. My, my hope for folks who are listening to this conversation is that uh, they're listening, they're saying, oh my gosh, of course, of course, I, we need to do this. I need to make time for this. I need to make time. It's important to me. It's important yeah. for yeah. our team that we do this. But I'm terrified because I don't know how. I've been living in this yeah. model of being subservient yeah. to schedules and achievement for so long. I don't know how to slow down. And how do I help my team learn this process? How do so make time for navigate for, for being a navigator and not just a problem solver? Right, right. right. Yeah. Well. First of all, we have to recognize 
that we have to approach this with a different mood. Because the very question you just asked, I get asked all the time. And I, and I have to force myself not to answer it, Pete, which is how do we do this? Because by its nature, just asking the question is asking you to solve the problem, which is exactly what we're trying not to do. Right. So what does it mean to allow something to emerge? Even in this conversation, there's an opportunity for us to allow something to emerge that neither one of us even saw in the process of being in this conversation. So, but let's, let's tie this to a broader awareness that our bodies are involved in this. Mm-hmm. So imagine the following. There's a stage or there's a, in front of the room, there's two chairs. One chair is labeled problem solving and the other chair is labeled navigation. To make the point to people that there is an act of shifting that we have to recognize, we have to step into. I have people sit in the problem-solving chairs, describe a situation, and they go through what is very natural and normal and something that we are just so familiar with, which is how to deconstruct the problem, how to name what the problem is, uh, how to maybe have an understanding of what success looks like, and they say, here are the steps that we're going to take. Then I say, all right, let's talk about something that doesn't have a solution. So the example I've been using more and more these days is this article from the Wall Street Journal asking about what's happening to the humanities in education. Right. That's a big question. Right. And there's no checkbox for this one, right? So I say, all right, take that question, go sit in the other chair. So they stand up, they sit in the other chair. The very act of moving your body into a different physical space creates an awareness or it has the potential, the possibility of creating the awareness that I need to look at this from a different lens. And one of the lenses is, you know what? I'm not trying to solve this one. I'm trying to learn, for example, what are the questions that I should be asking? So a different mood emerges. Right. You can't force the mood. You can encourage the mood by putting yourself in a different space. So this is a tangible way of demonstrating how to, how to use the body. I love that because I, and I'm, I'm trying to, in my head, I'm actually finding it as you're talking about it. I'm, I'm using you as my own little meditation. You're my headspace guy. Um, oh, here we go. Wow. <laughs> that's an odd. It took us 10 years to get there. I, I've been putting myself in, in that space as you're talking, and it's, um, it, it's kind of an amazing uh, opportunity, I think, is the word that I'm looking for. The idea that if you're asked to focus on a specific problem, one that is maybe more quotidian, right, something that you do every day, how easy it would be to step into that particular seat, and, and that's the office chair, right, that I just sit down and I can, yeah, I can rattle off problem-solving, brainstorming, put everything in quotes that you want, but you give me a question that I don't know how to answer and make me experience the world through from a different physical perspective, a different sensory perspective, I imagine that is uh, that only accelerates your journey toward, oh, check me if I'm, if I'm using this incorrectly, but your journey toward the discomfort required for creativity. Mm. Why do you say discomfort? 
Because I feel like there is an opportunity to engage that sense of uh, something we've talked about before, that sense of despair, that sense of like, I don't know an answer to this problem. I really don't. But but it's maybe it's not my job to solve it. Maybe it's just my job to see what a next possible horizon looks like. Nice. Yes. This is what's demanded of us if we're going to have others engage in conversations with us on big issues. Let's take, let's take climate change, for example. This is something that we have deep concern about for the planet. And it's an increasing awareness that we have. Mm-hmm. But to do that well, to have those conversations well, we need to approach that in two moods, a mood of resolution, but also a mood of open to possibilities and being relaxed, not of a mood of fear. Right, or despair, used now in the the more literal sort of emotional sense. That's right. When I asked you, why do you say that? Mm-hmm. And then in the last exchange, that's an example of recognizing that it's not about me having the next smart thing to say, but I'm trying to learn from you and you're trying to learn from me that, that what's going to emerge in, in our listening is the capacity to see that together or in a group, we're going to be able to create something different. And in education, what happens is, is that administrators go to academics with things that they want. They're not interested in engaging. They say they are, but it's often because they have a certain urgency Mm -hmm. and a pressure to get something done. The academy listens from a place of, are you really interested in building trust with me? And I'm painting a black and white picture because I know there are some that are making sincere efforts. But if we're going to make an impact in education in terms of the business model, what should be being taught? How do we deal with retention? How do we deal with student health? We have to get out of problem solving and into being in a certain kind of exploratory conversation. That is what will produce an awareness that we can then figure out what we have, how to problem solve it. My next question was going to be, uh, as leaders of teams, what, is the, what are the sorts of behaviors that you should be on the lookout for in helping your team to encourage these kinds of conversations? And I was ready to pitch that question to you and hear your answer. But instead, what I would like to say is, everybody listening to this, back up about two minutes, because What Howard demonstrated in that exchange with me in learning how I was exchanging, using those words, the word despair, using, uh, trying to adapt to my use of language was exactly what I would want to hear if I was working with Howard as a leader of me on his team. And what is that? Describe it. That was that the the way that you you didn't correct me. Uh. You inquired. You didn't encourage me to use language and adapt to you. You just wanted to come to a common uh, a common meeting place in in so that we could operate from a shared platform. So what I get from what you just said was when we do that effectively, it, we're not just demonstrating listening. We're recognizing that what's going to come out of some, the conversation is going to produce something that doesn't exist yet. Yes. That we are inventing something versus we're trying to uh, figure out how to get to an endpoint for something that's been prescribed. And the reason why this is so important is because 
Our bodies, our speaking, our intellect, our emotions are wired so strong to look at everything as a problem to be solved. And that what we have to be willing to do is to minimally step back and, and be curious about what would it mean for me to navigate this thing that we're talking about versus offer something up that is the solution to a problem. And if we can start minimally with that curiosity, then we can start into a conversation and show up differently. And, and I'll tell you, administrators need this more than ever because the pressure today is even more solving problems. And they're, they're trying to solve problems that, and, and talk about big issues with tools that are not going to allow them to work with the teams they have to work with. So that's what, so, so all I want from people listening to this is maybe an opening say, you know what, maybe I don't know how to navigate bigger issues. That's all being open to that. You just, you just take it and you make it so simple. Just one step. Monday morning, eight o'clock, day one. All you can do is say, Hey, Maybe I don't know how to navigate this. Right. And, and, you know, you know, the, I, someone, I didn't make this up. Somebody once said, and this is a good example of this. What I just said is simple, but not easy. Exactly. Because you got to do it then every day. That's right. Because this is a, this is like untraining your body to have one way of operating in the world. This is great stuff, Howard Teibel. Thank you. Uh, Thank you for sharing. Thank you for the insights, for the walkthrough. Uh, And thank you, everybody, for downloading and listening to this show. Don't forget, if you have just been listening to it and you want to see the slides that Howard has been talking about, the video version of this podcast is available over at the website, teibelink.com slash podcast slash 209. On behalf of Howard Teibel, I'm Pete Wright. We'll catch you next time right here on Navigating Change the podcast from Tidal Education.